Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, May 11th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. Okay, let's dive right into it. Phil Lord and Chris Miller are set to direct a new thing. Chris, tell us about it. Uh, Yes, this new thing is about the COVID-19 pandemic, which immediately makes me anxious because I'm really not sure how many people want COVID-19 movies. But Phil Lord and Chris Miller uh, are directing this film called The Premonition, which is based on a recently published book by Michael Lewis, who is the author of uh, Moneyball and The Big Short. So he, he tends to write these uh, nonfiction books that get turned into very popular movies. And um, this, this is all about the early days of COVID-19 and specifically about a group of people who started to try and sound the alarm very early on and weren't being taken seriously by uh, certain members of a certain administration who will go unnamed for now. And uh, yeah, that's basically it. And this is, you know, from the, from the sounds of it, this is like a full-blown 
drama, which is going to be a bit of a change of a pace for, for Lord and Miller who have primarily done uh, comedic things up until now. Yeah. I was going to say, this doesn't sound funny at all. No, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, Lord and Miller have made a career out of making things that I didn't think I want or didn't think that would be good. Right. And you know, under pro yeah. Under promising over delivering. Yeah. Like if this were anyone else, I'd be a little uh, anxious just because, like I said, I don't, I, I feel like Hollywood is overestimating how many movies we want about the pandemic. Cause like currently I want zero, <laughs> but I, I do trust Lord Miller enough to maybe do something interesting here. So I, I will give it a chance, but I'm really not looking forward to the, the glut of pandemic movies. I'm sure we're going to get in the next year or so. Yeah. I'm really curious if people really want to relive the pandemic this soon after. I mean, we're, I, it's not even like over yet. Yeah. So it's like, you know, but I, I get things like, you know, when nine 11 happened, you know, making movies like United 93, there was an emotional attachment there, but I feel like we just want to get through this. And maybe yeah, like, in like five, ten years, then it's like, oh, remember that time when we were stuck in the house for a year? Yeah, exactly. Like, like, I don't think anyone wants to relive this anytime soon, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Ben, are, are you excited to relive the pandemic in, in movie form? I'm not. Um, this also sounds to me like one of those projects that like Lord and Miller get attached to a lot of stuff and some yeah. of it just never happens. So maybe it's one of those. But I'm if it does happen, I'm sort of intrigued by the fact that it's such a, a swerve away from comedy and into drama. And it sort of reminds me, I mean, talking about uh, the big short, it sort of reminds me a little bit of Adam McKay's career a little bit. So I don't know. I'm curious if, if this like uh, signals a new you know, a full new direction for them, or if it's just um, an abnormality and they're going to go back to making comedic stuff primarily or what? Well, at this point I'll watch anything that they're involved in, you know, even as producers, I'm, I'm immediately interested, but okay, let's move on to our next story. And this involves the knives out sequels that are in development over at Netflix, you know, Netflix spent <laughs> some kind of record amount of money, like 450 million, is that correct, Ben? I think it was four hundred million, but maybe there was, maybe it was four fifty. <laughs> it was a lot of money. Whatever it was, it was a lot of money. And so they're making these two Knives Out sequels, and casting has has begun for the first of those. And I remember when the first Knives Out was, you know, announced. Every it seemed like every other day we were getting a casting announcement because it became this huge ensemble cast of like great actors. And it seems like you know history is repeating itself here. Tell us about it. Yes, so two actors have already been cast in Knives Out 2 alongside returning uh, lead actor Daniel Craig, who is going to be reprising his role as Benoit Blanc, the detective who is at the center of this uh, murder mystery sequel written and directed by Ryan Johnson. The first person who was cast uh, ended up being cast yesterday, and that was Dave Bautista from Guardians of the Galaxy and the upcoming Army of the Dead. Uh, We don't know anything about which character he's going to be playing. And I suspect that's going to be a trend that continues all the way through until they're like very close to releasing a trailer for this, because that's basically the the formula that happened the first time around for the first Knives Out. It was just, hey, this person's going to be in this movie. We know nothing about the details of the plot or what kind of character they're going to play. Um, And the second person who was cast today is Edward Norton. So um, that's an exciting uh, a prospect there. Um, Dave Bautista worked with Daniel Craig on Spectre, the not very good James Bond <laughs> movie that came out in 2015. He played this hulking character named Hinks, 
who was sort of in the mold of uh, Jaws and, and big, you know, brutish sort of um, goon characters like that in the, in the Bond franchise. And um, as far as I know, uh, Edward Norton and Daniel Craig have not worked together on anything before. But um, yeah, I mean, just the idea of, of uh, Batista and Norton being thrown into this sandbox that Ryan Johnson is carving out is exciting. The, we, the only thing we really know about Knives Out 2 is that it is uh, production is going to begin this summer in Greece. So it seems like uh, they're going to lean into that sort of international locale vibe instead of doing another uh, stateside mystery like the first one. Do like do? Is it too early to assume that it's going to be an ensemble movie? I, I think most whodunits are because you need all the the suspects, right? Yeah, I think it's going to be almost exactly the same kind of thing as the first movie in terms of just that full blown uh, Agatha Christie influence uh, where, you know, that, that's part of the fun of these movies is getting, you know, some of the best, the best actors who are working today and uh, throwing them all together like this in a, in a big ensemble. And I think, um, you know, the reason that first movie, the, the casting announcements came so furiously and so quickly that first time around was because the first film came together very, very quickly because Ryan Johnson had a very small window to make the movie before uh, Daniel Craig had to go off and make the new Bond film. Little did everybody know that that movie is still not out and we still <laughs> haven't seen it. Um, but we know that uh, he has another window coming up here um, for yeah, Knives Out 2 this summer. So, uh, I mean, if production is beginning this summer, it's May 11th right now. So, um, you know, we're very close to this summer. I don't know exactly when production I'm, is going to I'm pretty sure it's supposed to start in June, which is even closer than, you know, yeah. summer. So. Okay, great. Yeah. So, I mean, that means that we're probably in for another couple of weeks of like, hey, this great person is going to be in this movie, which I'm very excited about. Yeah. It, you know, it didn't occur to me until I saw these headlines uh, for the articles you wrote up here, Ben. But, you know, Knives Out 2. Do you think they're actually going to call it Knives Out 2? Because Knives Out was titled Knives Out for a variety of reasons, uh, you know, I, I think mostly because of that set design piece with all the knives, which mm -hmm. was very prominent in the marketing. Do you think they're going to keep that? I don't know. I am, you know, I think, um, I think if anything, it'll be like knives out colon, you know, summer in <laughs> Greece or whatever the hell they, they call it. It's a terrible title. Please Netflix don't <laughs> use that under any circumstances. Um, but uh, I, I wouldn't be, I mean, you know, the reason Netflix spent so much money on this was because the first film overperformed a lot at the box office and they want to be in the franchise business. They want to be in the Ryan Johnson business. So the idea of them keeping that just for name recognition makes sense to me, but Knives Out 2 just feels a little weak. So I, I feel like they'll keep the, the Knives Out as the primary title and then maybe toss a subtitle in there. Yeah. Cause I, I feel like if, even if you subtitled it with the name of uh, Daniel uh, character, mm -hmm. it, I don't think people would connect the dots as much as they would knives out. So I think you need it in there somewhere. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at the same time, you know, death <laughs> on the Nile is the follow up to murder on the Orient express. And that doesn't have, you know, it's not, oh. Murder on the Orient Express 2, Death on the Nile. I guess that's true. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that would be a very interesting movie. A train crashes into the Nile and yes. maybe a body is found on there. <laughs> okay, let's move on to our next story. And uh, this comes from our own writer, Jack Giroux. And it's uh, Timur is talking about making another Nightwatch sequel, but could be using a different format. Chris, tell us about this. Yes, uh, Timur... Oh man, someone want to help me say this guy? Yeah, it's Beck, Beck Mambatov. 
Thank you, Ben. I'm sorry <laughs> I'm so unprepared. But uh, he he directed these films called Night Watch and Day Watch. And there was supposed to be a third film too, but the, the third film never got around to being made. And these were uh, these Russian language uh, horror sci-fi action movies set in this world where there's these supernatural beings. They're sort of like vampires, but they're not officially vampires. And there are, uh, you know, the the good side, the light side, and the, and the dark side, you know, like as, as many movies do. And uh, he's pr- out there promoting um, Profile right now, which is another movie in the screen life genre. And screen life is this, this I guess you want to call it, you can call it a subgenre that he's sort of pioneered where all the action takes place on a computer screen. Think of uh, the unfriended movies and also searching. It's, you know, these movies where everything is on a laptop screen or a phone screen, all the action is on a screen. And uh, Profile is a movie like that too. And during this interview, he was asked if he ever wanted to make, if he would make another movie in uh, this Daywatch series, which would be called Twilight Watch. That was supposed to be the third movie. And he said yes, and he wants to do it as a screen life movie. He said, it must be screen life. It will be screen life. Where do the dark ones and the light ones live today? In digital space. I think it will happen in screen life. So, uh, you know, I don't know if he's really going to make this or not, but it sounds like if he does make a third film, it's going to be one of these screen life movies, which will be a, a big change of pace compared to the first two, which were not screen life movies. And what happened to, to Murray? Like, I feel like he used to be like one of those like crazy geniuses. Like, you know, and I'm not saying like all his stuff was great, but he, he always had some great ideas in there. And I liked both of these movies, but I don't see, I don't know. And I, I also like the screen life format. I think as a format, like there's so much you could do within that format. Is that the future of movies? No, it's like, I think, you know, just kind of like a subgenre, kind of like uh, time loop movies. Uh, you know, you could, you could, you know, do time loop uh, romantic comedy, time loop, you know, like that kind of thing. But I don't know if... <laughs> Chris, do you, do you have a love for those movies, the Night Watch and Day Watch? Uh, I never saw the Day Watch one. I saw Night Watch. I thought it was okay, but it wasn't like I, I wasn't like as as big on it as a lot of people were when it came out. I remember it was like a big deal, but I thought it was just okay. Yeah, I saw it after the fact as well. Ben, ben did you see either of those? I saw both of them probably when I was in college, like really late at night. And I just remember them being borderline incomprehensible to me. <laughs> like I, I remember them being big on style and like some big yeah. action set pieces here and there. But like I could not tell you a single thing about what happened in either of them. Yeah, I think I appreciated them on the style level they, they weren't really like uh the the, the best uh plot uh, driven stories um but what do you guys think of telling a third story in this universe as a screen in the screen life format i mean it's weird isn't it chris like the idea of of taking a movie that is so or a franchise that is so action heavy and then translating that to screen life what do you think about that yeah i don't i don't think this is a good idea i also don't think people really remember like day watch as much as he seems to think they do. Maybe they do. I'm maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think anyone's like, Oh fuck. Yeah. There's a new day watch movie and it's I think on it, a computer. I will say, I think it does have a cult following. It's kind of yeah, like one but, of those, like, uh, I don't want to say boondock saying, but you know, like one of those like level of cult following. Right. But the cult following is based on 
what it was. I don't think anyone's like, yeah, put this on a computer. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you. I, I don't. I think this is a bad idea. And his quote there, he seems so confident. He's like, of course, this is the only way to do it. I mean, he's all in on the screen life thing. He wants to, that's all he wants to do now. So I guess it makes sense for him, but yeah. I mean, I'm okay with the screen life thing. It just, why put it with this, this franchise? Yeah. Like what are like, are the vampires going to like text each other? Like, I don't even know what that movie is. Like, like I seem to remember the thing that everyone loved about those movies is like the fights and stuff. And you can't really do that as a, as a screen life movie, or maybe you can, I don't know. It'll, It'll be recording from a computer in the corner and you'll see a fight play out in like <laughs> one wide shot. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Okay. Uh, let's move on. Uh, let's move on to another filmmaker, Zack Snyder. You know, he made, he finally got his justice league, Zack Snyder's justice league. The, the Snyder cut was released on HBO max and he's doing, you know, a lot of press for his new film. Uh, what is the army of the dead? Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yeah. And, <laughs> And, uh, you know, people are asking about it. And so he, he's talking and it, it sounds like he's not so happy with Warner Brothers or maybe maybe it's the other way away or, or the other way around. Warner Brothers is not so happy with him. Ben, tell us about it. Yeah. So somebody asked Zack Snyder if fans should maintain hope for the uh, hashtag restore the Snyderverse movement, which is this fan campaign that is aimed at trying to convince Warner Brothers to hire Zack Snyder to continue making more Justice League movies. Um, previously the CEO of Warner media has strongly implied that the company is not interested in doing that. Uh, they have many other projects that are sort of percolating in the world of DC. So basically in their eyes, the Snyder is dead. Um, but, and, and, uh, and also all the like third party analytics seem to show that HBO go or HBO max didn't get like a huge spike and subscribers because of this so right yeah so um yeah there, there are several factors at play here but uh in, in, i guess in response to this question zach snyder said uh i would think about it this way yes warner brothers has been aggressively anti-snyder if you will um he goes on to basically say uh i would also say that they certainly weren't interested in my take on justice league they certainly made decisions about that i love the characters i love the world i think it's an amazing place to make a movie it's glorious ip so there's that i don't know what could be done as you move forward other than i think the fan movement is so strong the fan community the intention is so pure i have huge respect for it i would hope that cooler heads would prevail with warner brothers and that they would want uh, that they would see that there's this massive fandom that wants more of that, but who knows what they'll do? Um, well, I think Ann Sarnoff, the CEO of Warner Media, knows what they're going to do, and the answer is yeah. probably not give you the keys to make any more Justice League movies, Mr. Snyder. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think the headline going around is like Snyder says Warner Brothers is aggressively anti-Snyder, and like only in this specific instance, right? Because that company is, you know, like. They gave him what seventy million dollars or something to make uh, the Snyder cut. So th- they're they can't be well. They also did kind of Snyder. They did kind of remove him from his movie and completely change it on him without his creative feedback. So... Right, but like if they hated him, if they thought that you know yeah. everything that he stood for was 
vile and atrocious, they wouldn't have given him this money to to complete his vision. So I think I feel like they were appeasing fans. They were appeasing him. They they you know it was an opportunistic decision on their part. They they thought that it could help boost the profile of HBO Max. It was all these factors that that went into the green lighting of the Snyder Cut. But now that you know the dust has settled a little bit, and some of those factors are not exactly in the same uh, you know formation as they were before. I just don't think this is going to happen again, especially since they've they've basically come out and said as much already. So this kind of seems to me like Zack Snyder is just like, you know, trying to string the the most ardent members of his super hardcore fan base along and just leaving it with like a who knows, maybe one day kind of thing so that the the movement will never die. You know, there will always be people out there who are like, maybe he he's, he's always said maybe, you know, like that kind of thing, just to, to keep people uh, on the, you know, strung along a little bit. But uh, it seems like right now that this is not going to happen. Yeah. I'll say this, that, you know, I generally like Zack Snyder's films. I'm not a Zack Snyder uh, hater. I, I enjoyed Man of Steel, uh, Batman vs Superman, not as much. Um, I, I like the just, uh, the, uh, Snyder cut of justice league, but it, I did think it was way too long. Uh, all, all that said, I, I don't know what he was doing. Like, what, like they gave him all this money and they gave him the creative freedom and they gave him this money to do reshoots. And instead of spending that money in reshoots to make Zack Snyder's justice league, a better movie, he spent the money to set up this nightmare verse thing that could be you know, in its own corner of the DC universe and could be, could function on its kind of like the Joker movies mm-hmm. it could function on its own. And he, he seemed to like be betting on the fact that like, you know, since he created the sandbox in the corner that, you know, Warner brothers, if there was enough money to be made, would let him make some movies in that nightmare verse. I don't know. It just seemed like such a strange move. Like wh- why not spend that money to make the movie, the best movie it could possibly be. I think you just, I mean, you just explained exactly why he was calling his shot. He thought that this was the best way to not only make this movie, uh, you know, give this movie a bunch of talking points and like, uh, you know, have people wonder what the hell Jared Leto's Joker was doing in the movie and all the, the drive the conversation that happened around the release of the Snyder Cut. But also he was laying, he was very clearly and obviously laying path for the future of his career should Warner brothers want to go in that direction. He's, he's clearly like interested in pursuing that. If the studio and him were on the same page, he would absolutely be making more movies, you know, for the next five or 10 years or whatever in that universe. So he was like shooting his shot. And in one respect, I kind of, uh, like I admire the balls that it takes to to just do that instead of um you know tightening things up and and doing you know creating like this this uh final this grand finale of this trilogy instead he like tacked on this thing that it's like well maybe there could be more and it also that goes right back into feeding that fan community and always the, you know leaving people with the conversation of well, what could happen in this nightmare verse? You know, it, it's the kind of geek conversations that have been happening for decades in, in various properties. So yeah. I think Zack Snyder knows exactly what he's doing. Um, just, uh, I don't think, it's like, you know, sometimes you point to the to left field and instead of hitting a home run, you just, uh, I don't know, foul <laughs> out or something if you want to, you know, uh, yeah, that was me as the kid. metaphor. I always did that. Never, never was it a home run. But... <laughs> 
I don't know. I, I just feel like at this point, with what Zack Snyder was able to accomplish with this whole Snyder Cut movement, like it or hate it, Zack Snyder is a brand. He he's as much of a brand as you know Chris Nolan is a brand or Steven Spielberg is a brand. I'm not saying that he, you know, uh, has as much uh, weight as those other brands, but like there aren't many filmmakers that are brands to the general public. Mm-hmm. Not to like you know the film Twitter film first like uh, us nerds here, but like I I really think like why does he why does he keep on harping on this? I don't even think he needs. DC anymore he can go out and just make his army of the dead or wh- whatever he wants to make and he's going to get money for it because he he has that loyal audience yeah I mean it just seems to me like he really loves he's fallen in love with his vision for these characters and I know a lot of people sort of bristle at his uh, interpretation of what these characters should be but it's clearly something and he spent a lot of time thinking about um, we wrote stories about, you know, his plans for these future Justice League movies, should they happen, which again, they probably won't. And it, it's it's some big swing, like galaxy brain stuff. So, I mean, he he obviously has thought all this stuff through and he really loves these characters. So, uh, yeah, that, I think that's the reason he's just like doing whatever he can, you know, uh, to try to uh, give himself the, <laughs> the chance to do this. Although I would say saying in a statement like this, that Warner brothers has been aggressively anti Snyder basically to me reads like negging the studio that would need to hire him to continue yeah. making these movies. And that, that doesn't strike me as the best uh, plan. So I'm not exactly sure what he's doing here. Maybe he's just, he knows that there's no chance and he's just, um, you know, burning bridges at this point. I don't know. It almost feels like he's encouraging his loyal followers to kind of go at Warner brothers yeah i mean i guess you can kind of read that between the lines a little bit he he stops short well yeah, short he doesn't, of actually yeah. like telling anybody to do that or even like heavily implying that but it's sort I feel of like just if i'm in that fan base and he says that i'm like okay we're gonna start an email campaign and we're gonna email warner brothers and we're gonna we're gonna buy a billboard and we're gonna put it outside warner brothers studio do you know what i mean like i don't know i just feel like it is <laughs> there's a way of being like maybe someday mm-hmm. and appeasing people and keeping, you know, keeping fans at bay and, like, keeping them, you know, satisfied for now. And then there's another, like, I, I feel that statement was a little over the line. Uh, yeah, it could be. It, it's very close to the line, I would say. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I, it, Peter, I think you said in our Slack, like, you don't think this is going to be the last that we hear of this. So yeah. um, I suspect we'll be talking about it more in the, in the months to come, probably. Sure. Do you think we'll, like... If this doesn't ever happen, if he doesn't get to do his nightmare verse as a movie, do you think like maybe in comics they could like do the Zack Snyder, like the continuation? Hmm. I'm, I'm sure that would be enough for DC Comics, which is owned by Warner Brothers. Like they would make enough money off, you know, people buying those books. Chris, what do you think? Do you think Snyder would would sort of relinquish the chance to complete that cinematic vision uh or like uh, you know basically pass that off to the comics department to handle uh i don't i don't think he would do that but also i would like to never talk about this again (laughs) (laughs) okay let's move on to our final story today and this is a fun one they're rebooting legends of the hidden temple for adults chris tell us about it yeah i mean that's that's really the 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 long and short of it legends of the hidden temple if you don't remember, it was a game show on Nickelodeon in the 1990s where 
the first half of the show was like a tr- traditional, you know, like quiz show, Jeopardy show where teams were answering questions. And then what they were doing was competing to run through the temple, which is basically a, an obstacle course that sort of resembles a, an Indiana Jones set. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I used to love this when I was a kid. And now it's coming back on the CW. And the twist here is, whereas the original was, you know, for kids and it had kids as contestants, this version is going to have adults as contestants. But other than that, it sounds like it's going to be pretty much the same show, which is um, uh, interesting and fun and clearly meant to appeal to nostalgia and, and you know people who grew up with this and, and want to see it again but with adults so it sounds fun i'm i'm very curious to check this out i love this i you know when i was a kid watching nickelodeon there was so many great game shows on nickelodeon obviously there was double there there was a uh, slime time live uh there was uh this one uh, you know legends of the hidden temple there was nickelodeon guts there was nick arcade i always wanted to be in nick arcade because you'd in, in the end of that one they would put you in the video game. And I'm, I'm assuming it was just like a green screen set where you're like yeah. moving your arms and stuff, but it looked so cool on TV. I always wanted to be in these things. And I'm kind of happy. I don't know if, if, if I'm correcting this, but I think floor is lava kind of kickstarted this movement of making these, these kind of game shows, these physical game shows for adults. I mean, I guess there was like some stuff in Japan, that was influ- like uh, I forget uh, that show on Wipeout. I think it is. Yeah. So I'm guessing that predates it. But uh, yeah, I Ben, did you ever watch any of these shows? Yeah, I watched Legends of the, of the Hidden Temple all the time as a kid, and I really enjoyed it. I also watched um, MXC, which was the uh, the most extreme elimination challenge that was on Spike TV, and I imagine <laughs> that does not hold up very well at all. Uh, so I like feel bad that I watched that now, like looking back on it. it Wait, what was like, that one? I, it was I'm... it was one of those Japanese shows that was overdubbed by oh. probably a couple of white guys who thought they were making very very funny jokes, but it was just a lot of. Um, ridiculous like physical humor because the the um obstacle courses and and tasks that they would have to complete were like so far outside of you know what we were seeing on american tv at the time um that it was just like entertainment you know on, on that level but they, they had this like uh level of um commentary and and jokes and stuff in there that i i cannot imagine holds up very well at all but um but yeah i, I enjoyed legends of the hidden temple and this sounds like a fun thing i, I can't wait for chris to uh, apply to be part of the you know yes the, the <laughs> silver <laughs> what, the, snakes the, or whatever the, <laughs> the team name was yeah <laughs> what was that talking statue all all mac yeah Olmec. oh yeah oh yeah the shrine couple- of the silver monkey. That was, yeah, that was my things. that was my favorite part. The shrine of the silver monkey. Just because of the way he said it, he would be like <laughs> the shrine of the silver monkey. <laughs> Chris, maybe you can do the voiceover work maybe. for the new yeah. show. Hit, hit me up, the CW. I'll do the new <laughs> Olmec voice. Whatever. It is strange that it's going to the CW though. I guess yeah, it, I it, it doesn't why. make sense for Nick, but maybe like why not Paramount Plus? Or, yeah, I guess- it seems like the best fit for it. But yeah, okay. Uh, that does it for today. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.